Good evening, Southside. Glad you could be joining us here tonight for our Sunday evening Bible study, our Sunday evening service. Uh, Glad that you joined us this morning. If you were able to, if something happened, you couldn't join us. Remember, all of our services that have been on our Facebook page are saved and kept on our Facebook page. So we encourage you, if you miss a service, go back and find it and join us in that way. Uh, Tonight, we will be continuing discussing the importance of God's Word in a believer's life. Brother Jim kind of kicked this off several weeks ago looking at Psalm 119. And last week, we continued this looking at 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We've seen from last week and understood that God's Word is inspired, meaning that it's literally spoken by God throughout the ages, throughout the years. God has spoken this Word to humanity so that we would have the message from Him. We see not only that from 2 Timothy 3 that it's spoken by God, but we see that it is beneficial for us or necessary for us as Christians. Uh, Meaning that to be complete and mature, to be mature in our faith, we must know God's Word. Because to know more of God's Word, well, it's to know more of Him. Know more about Him and what He desires for our life. And Christian, understand, we talked about this last week. We are incapable of growing properly in Christ without a healthy ingesting of God's Word. And and not just getting from our pastor, not just getting from our Sunday school teacher, but a daily devotion and commitment to reading God's Word and studying God's Word and even memorizing God's Word. And tonight we continue looking into God's Word according to His Word, and we find our next passage out of the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible there, if you would, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I encourage you there in your home to go ahead and grab a Bible, look that up. Hebrews chapter 4, and we will be starting in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. It is important for us to continue this study and continue reaffirming why God's Word is so important in the lives of His children, in the lives of His children. And whether you're young, whether you're older, it doesn't matter. God's Word is important. And we continue this in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 11 is where we will be this evening. And while you're turning there or or grabbing your Bible to turn there, I would like to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we will get started this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for this time that you've allowed us to be here, Father. God, to continue studying your word. And God, I pray that as we study your word, as it talks about your word, God, and teaches us and, and, and reminds us of its importance, God, I pray that we would commit our lives to it. God, we, were, we would anchor ourselves to the message of the gospel, the message of your word. And God, that we would commit ourselves to reading, studying, memorizing, and knowing it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that you've given to us in your word. And just pray that you would help us to hold it near and dear to our hearts and our lives. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 4, before we jump into our main text, to give us a little bit of context, since we are jumping right in the middle of the book, uh, a couple things about the book of Hebrews. It's it's an interesting book. For one, because we have no idea who wrote it. Now, as you read commentaries or studies, there, of course, are different people with different opinions on saying, well, Paul wrote it, or Peter wrote it, or Apollos wrote it. But truth is, we don't know who wrote it. We don't see any introduction with a name attached to it. It simply is just a letter with no 
name attached to it. Something interesting about the book of Hebrews is throughout the entire book, it continually draws on many Old Testament allusions to display greater truths in the gospel message. We'll talk about a couple here in a moment, but one, for example, that we see out of Hebrews 4, later on in Hebrews 4, is calling Jesus our great high priest. So the author of Hebrews looking at the office of intercession by the high priest, which was to go every year and offer the, the, the offering for atonement for the sin of the people. Hebrews points us to our great high priest, Jesus, offering the one-time sacrifice of himself on our, for our behalf. In our passage today, again, just so happens to be found in Hebrews 4, we see also in the Old Testament allusions, and in kind of in context of where we are, are chapters 3 and 4 makes a point and begins to compare Jesus to Moses. How they are similar, yet of course how Jesus is greater. We see in chapter 3, verse 3, saying, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So, of course, pointing to Jesus being God in the flesh, being the creator, and Moses being a vessel, Jesus is much greater than Moses. But we see the comparison. Just as Moses was leading the children of Israel to the promised rest, so Jesus is leading his people to an eternal rest. But even with this great truth, even with this great comparison that we see in the word here in chapters 3 and 4, there is a warning in this passage. At the end of chapter 3 specifically, we see that. Remember the generation that came out of Egypt. Remember the people that came out of Egypt. They were prevented from actually seeing the promised land. Moses was the only, only one who, of that generation who actually got to see the promised land. None of them got to see or be on the promised land. Why? Because, as he says in verse 19, chapter 3, of their unbelief. The warning continues into chapter 4 as the author of Hebrews reinforces genuine faith against disobedience and unbelief. Belief. So the context of what's going on, the author is talking about true faith, true persistent belief, opposed to unbelief or disobedience. Keeping with the theme of rest, true rest only found in Jesus, we pick up our main text this evening out of verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing the description of God's word further expounded on here in this passage. Firstly, we see in verse 11, the perseverance of God's children and the warning of unbelief. The author of Hebrews comes to some kind of a conclusion here from chapters 3 and 4 and what he's been building towards. And he says simply there in verse 11, he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The first portion of this verse encourages a continuing belief in a believer's life. He says to strive forward towards rest. Remembering the context of rest and unbelief, the passage continues to draw on these two words. We see the word strive or labor. And when you think about the word labor, what do you think of? Well, you think about work. You think about doing a job or working for something. And that's often what we think about with this word and the word that's used there. But in all actuality, the word really speaks more about being diligent. The author of Hebrews is talking about having a diligence towards our faith. The word diligence can be seen from two different lights. To be attentive, to pay attention to something, and also to be persistent in something, to continue doing something. So firstly, when we talk about being attentive towards our faith, being attentive means that we pay close attention to the faith that we claim. To strive towards rest is to begin and end with a saving faith in Jesus. 
the author of Hebrews, throughout the entire book of Hebrews, is not advocating for a works-based salvation in any way, shape, or form. It is not a beginning, middle, end, you work in the middle and then Jesus... No, it's completely by the grace of God through Jesus. We see Paul rebuking the church at Galatia for having some kind of a works-based salvation. We see that in Galatians chapter 3. He is not teaching or advocating a works-based salvation, but instead is teaching us to examine the faith that we have. Yes, Christian, we have assurance of salvation because of Jesus. But Scripture does warn us of the possibility of having a false belief or a false faith. Don't we see that in Matthew chapter 7 with Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, saying that on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these incredible, miraculous, godly things for you? And what does Jesus say to them? Cast them away. I never knew you. He never truly knew these people. The author of Hebrews, he's not advocating for a works-based salvation. He is warning us, encouraging us to examine our faith. Christian, we need to examine our faith and hold it up to see if it's the true, genuine thing. As you know, as as counterfeiters became more crafty, the, the $20 bill, $100 bill, other, other bills as well, they became more artistic. You probably remember back when they were adding watermarks and these different things, people, vendors, who would hold up the bill to the light to see whether or not it was a genuine bill, a true blue $20, $100 bill, whatever it may have been. And in a sense, we need to do the same thing with our faith. We need to hold our faith up to the light of God's Word to see if the mark of true belief is on our life. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, we examine our lives According, according to the marks of true belief. And where do we find that? God's Word. We hold our faith, we are attentive, examining of our faith, and we hold it up to the light of God's Word as it tells us what we ought to find in true belief and true salvation. Not only being diligent doesn't mean to be attentive, but it also means to persist or persevere in our faith. Christian, to have a true faith, to have a true salvation through Jesus means that your salvation persists. It continues through your life. Understand, this, perse this perseverance or continuing in the faith is not found by our own hard work, but by the eternal security that we have in Jesus. True faith persists. It continues. We see Paul telling the church in Philippi chapter 1, Verse 6, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. True faith, true salvation persists. We persevere in our faith. As we see even in Hebrews chapter 12, we are in a sense in a race. And we are encouraged to continue moving to that finish line. We are to be attentive to our faith and diligent in perseverance of our faith so that we do not fall into unbelief. And we see that in the next part of this verse. Look there in the second part of verse 11. He says, Strive to enter that rest. Examine your faith. And then he says, So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. As we discuss the joy of salvation, the truths of salvation, we must also understand that there is warning that is always attached to it. The disobedience of the children of Israel was seen in their unbelief. So how do we strive towards 
that rest? How do we strive and move towards having that eternal rest in Jesus? By having genuine faith. By having a continuous faith. Faith. How do we miss that rest? By unbelief. By not believing in Him. And where do we find these great promises? Where do we find these, these great warnings for our life? This, this promise that to have genuine faith means we enter into a rest. And also the warning of, hey, avoid unbelief. Like the children of Israel, where do we find these great truths? Well, we find them in the Word of God. And that's where we jump to in verse 12. Now, it may seem that the author of Hebrews is completely changing subject, but he's really not. We see in chapter 3, he brings up Old Testament passages and pointing out these truths. And here again, he begins to expound on and teach us more about this Word of God and why we ought to pay attention to it. Because in this Word of God, we find the message of redemption and also the message of warning on our lives. Look there in verse 12. Verse 12, it begins with this conjunction. It says, for, or therefore. Often when we see a conjunction like this, like for or therefore in God's word, it demands our attention. Many times important, weighty truths are attached to these types of passages in God's word. For example, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I beseech you by the mercies of God, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God being rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Him. We see these conjunctions all throughout God's Word. God uses these conjunctions in His Word to bring about great truths. God swings big doors with these tiny hinges on His Word. Uh, we see, in other words, it is the cement that binds previous passages that we see in His Word. And it's no different than what we see here in Hebrews chapter 4. The cement that binds the reality of redemption and the warning of judgment and making that known to us, revealing that to us, is because of His Word. Because of His living Word. And that brings us to the first part of what we see in verse 12 of chapter 4. The Word of God is both living and written. Look there in verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Firstly, we see that God's Word is living, meaning that it is alive. That this Word that we have, it is not a dead or irrelevant message. Quite the opposite. It is living. And in this, we understand two things about God's Word that we need to say before moving forward. Firstly, that God's Word is written. We understand that. You are holding a Bible there, or at least I hope you are holding a Bible there. The Bible that you hold is the very written Word of God. The Holy Spirit, over the course of a couple thousand years, moved through and inspired the words written down by shepherds, farmers, kings, prophets, fishermen, historians, all of these different people that we see throughout history to give us a cohesive message from Him. This is no ordinary book that we have and hold, it is a copy of the very inspired text that God has spoken and preserved throughout history. We see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Christian, that is not any ordinary written book that you're holding. It is the written word of God. Not only do we see that this living word is a written word, 
but also God's word is found in a person. In the book of John, at the very first chapter, very first verse, we see a description of the word of God, not as a book, but as a person. Uh, you can turn there if you would like. I'm just going to read here. John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is called the Word of God. Why? Why is Jesus called the Word of God? like the written Word of God. Because both, in the written Word and the living Word, we see the message of redemption and warning of coming judgment. In the written Word and in the living Word, Jesus. It is important to note that God's full message to humanity is found in His Word. Christian, it is everything that we need for salvation and godliness in this life. If someone tells you that they have a new message from God, if someone begins to prophesy some new message, do not listen to them. Do not give any credence to what they are saying. Because the statement, thus says the Lord, has already been said and recorded in His Word. There is not any new revelation because we have everything we need in the written Word and in the living Word, Jesus God's message found in His Word and found in His Son is sufficient for us. God's Word is living. Not only is God's Word living, but God's Word is effective. It's described in the next part of this passage as active. The Word of God is effective and it's discerning. Look there in verse 12 again. For the Word of God is living and active, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That word active, meaning, of course, that it is doing something. It is involved. It is moving. And, of course, that is true. But the word speaks more about power. That God's word is living and it is powerful. It is the word of God moved by the Spirit of God that is powerful to save and redeem lost, rebellious sinners. Christian, the word of God, it is effective for salvation and godliness in our lives. Not as an option for salvation, but as the only chance for salvation. The message that is contained in Jesus and contained in the written word is effective for salvation and godliness in our lives. The description goes on. Not only is God's word living and active, effective, it goes on to describe the word as a two-edged sword. Now, why would Hebrews describe God's word in this way? I want you to picture that first. Picture a sword, a two-edged sword. Okay, you've got of course the point and then you've got both sides that are that are sharp. Why would why would Hebrews describe God's word in this way? Well, for one, it would have been very familiar to the people at the time. That would have been a familiar piece of weaponry, especially with uh, Roman soldiers. Double-edged sword had a point. But also, because much like a sword, a two-edged sword, it cuts and divides. We see this truth in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches the first sermon at Pentecost. After he's done preaching the gospel message to these thousands of people, the 3,000 who respond, what do they say in response to the message? What does it say about them? It says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart because of the preaching of God's Word. The Word of God cut down 
those who heard in their sin. It says they were cut to the heart and said, Brother, what shall we do? When we think of a double-edged sword, the blade is effective from all angles. Whether you are piercing through something or swinging from either side, it is effective to accomplish its purpose, to divide and to cut. And understand something, that is an accurate description of God's Word because oftentimes it can feel like we are being cut down. It is not something pleasant to go through. It is not something enjoyable to go through, much like a festered wound that needs to be cleaned to heal properly. The Word of God cuts so that it may eventually heal. It may not be fun to go through, but it is something necessary in our lives. You think about a surgery. You think about something like that, these, these surgeries that, that are necessary. No one wants to go through a surgery. No one wants to go through something like that, but why do you? Why do we? Why do we go under the knife, and, and, and why do we allow ourselves to be cut open so that even through the pain of that we might come out better. We might begin to heal. Christian, that is how God's Word is in our lives. In our hearts, and our lives, it cuts and cuts down to eventually heal, heal to those who listen and pay attention. Not only is God's Word powerful and effective and like a two-edged sword, but it is discerning. It is discerning. Look there in verse 12 again. Sharpen any two-edged sword, piercing through the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It divides our very soul and discerns who we really are. Hear me, you may be able to fool the pastor. You may be able to, to, to fool the youth pastor. You may be able to fool your family. You may be able to fool Sunday school teacher, whoever in your life. But God's Word discerns who you really are. And as you read it, as you hear it preached, as you hear it taught, you cannot hide from its discerning eye. It lays us open and shows us who we truly are. A prison chaplain gave a new inmate a Bible. And after several days, he asked him what he made of it or what he thought about the Bible. And the prisoner replied simply, I didn't read the book. It read me. The Bible is the only book that as you read it, it is reading you. It is discerning who you truly are. It is revealing who you truly are. Martin Luther said that the Word of God is like a mirror. That as you look into it, into the perfect Word, into the perfect law, it reflects back to you who you really are. It reflects back to you your true need for salvation. The Word of God, it is living, it is powerful, it is a two-edged sword, it is discerning, and it is exposing. And that's what we see in verse 13. The Word of God exposes us before a holy God. Verse 13, look there. It says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's Word being discerning and revealing of who we really are brings us to the author's next point about the Word. It exposes us before a holy God. Remember what I said. You can fool all the people around you, but you cannot fool the God of the Bible. You cannot fool God who by His Word discerns who you really are and exposes and lays you open 
before him. The word of God is the agent by which God exposes us all. You can fool people around you. You can fool your pastor and the people all around you, but you cannot hide from God. We are never hidden from God's sight. His word discerns who we really are and lays us open before him who judges us all. And Christian, non-Christian, whoever you might be listening, understand something. The judgment of a holy God, being exposed to a holy, righteous God, and the judgment of that holy, righteous God is a terrible reality for those who are outside of Christ. To be laid open, bare before a holy, righteous God, that He sees all that you are, all that you've ever done, all that you've ever thought. He sees it. It's not hidden from His sight. It is laid open before Him by the discerning and exposing Word of God. What does God see in your life? What is exposed before Him? Does He see that you are in Christ, resting in His righteousness? Or are you depending on your own righteousness for salvation? Christian, there is only one way to our eternal rest. Jesus says in John 10 that He is the gate by which we must enter. He is our only hope. Apart from knowing Jesus and trusting in Jesus, you will be judged and exposed by the word of God to a holy God and judged on your good works and merits and the things that you have done. Let me tell you, every one of us, if we are outside of Christ, we are going straight to hell. It is in the Word of God that we find the message of warning and our message of redemption in Jesus. The call and the encouragement from the author of Hebrews as we contemplate this rest and examine our faith is to go to the Word of God because it cuts, it divides, it discerns, it exposes, and it shows who we are and what we really need, which is Jesus. To conclude here this evening, remember we've We've seen, according to Hebrews 4, that the Word of God is living. The Word of God is active or powerful. The Word of God discerns our intentions, our very intentions of the heart, and it exposes us before a holy God. Remember, we're encouraged. We are instructed to go to the Word of God because we find the message of redemption as well as the message of warning. And my encouragement to you tonight is to embrace the Word of God. Embrace the Word of God. And you might be sitting there thinking, but it hurts too much. It hurts too much. It convicts too much. As I read it, it's like I'm being cut down. And let me say to you, good. Because that's exactly what it needs to do. It cuts us down and convicts us. Embrace the conviction of God's Word upon your life. Allow the Word of God to cut you down so that you might be healed by the message of redemption and hope that we find in Jesus. Christian, the Word of God is living and active. It is powerful. It is effective. It is the tool that God uses to bring us the warning for judgment and also the message of redemption 
and salvation. I pray that you embrace it tonight and embrace it for the rest of your days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us, Father. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the living word. God, the message of salvation we find in the written word and the message of salvation we find in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that as we examine our faith, examine the warning that we see in your word, God, that we would cling to your word. We would examine our lives, holding it up to the light of your word as we see it. God, as you have revealed it to us. And God, we would align our lives to what your word is, is telling us. God, as it cuts down, as it convicts, God, we know that it's painful, we know that it hurts, but God, it's for the purpose of healing. It's for the purpose of redemption. Father, I pray that as Christians we would embrace that in every area of your life as you are sanctifying us, as you are chipping away the things in our lives that don't need to be there. Father, I pray that we would constantly return to the Word of God so that it might cut through, show us for who we are, but build us up to where we need to be. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the warning and the redemption that we find in it. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, God bless you. Uh, remember this week, if there's anything that you know of that anyone needs, if you need anything, uh, need us to be in prayer over anything for you, please let us know. Message the office. Uh, email us. Message me. We'd love to pray for you and help you any way that we can. God bless you, and we're praying for you. Thank <laughs> you.